Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Hello and a warm welcome to the latest edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. It's been a while since Mark Gellard and I last spoke. It was actually right before the US Open got started and the reason that we've uh, not been so great with recording the pod is the fact that the logistics have been quite tricky. He's now in Guangzhou, China. I'm about to start commentary. So the time changes and all the difference and flying and all those kind of things have not been kind to the podcast. So we do apologize for that. It's time for the Asian swing, mostly on the WTA tour. A full Asian swing since 2019. We're going to end today's pod with some listener questions, so stay tuned for that. And don't forget that you can also send us your questions to professional tennis coach Mark Gellard if you have some. You can find us on the Twitter handle at Candy, C-A-N-D-Y-R-H, or at D-O-A-P-T-C. We'd love to hear from you. So without much further ado, let's get chatting with Mark Gellard. And boy, do we have some topics to cover today. Our listeners can't see you, but you clearly have a sunglass tan mark. I can see it very clearly. Um, just tell us a little bit. <laughs> He's admiring himself in the mirror now. Um, just tell us briefly <laughs> where you are, how you got there and how New York was. So right now we are in Guangzhou, China. We left uh, New York, well, it seems a lifetime ago, but probably just over a week ago. A reasonable time in New York happy with the first round victory over Sasnovich, kind of avenged some past demons against her. And then second round had a very competitive match with Jennifer Brady, who played well. Uh, disappointing outcome, thought we had the momentum going into the third set, had our opportunities, didn't take them. Um, and then, and then you know, followed up with a decent run in the doubles, reaching the quarterfinals. So that was um, always a nice thing to do. To be in a quarterfinal for Grand Slam is always mm. nice. Um, and then got over to San Diego, where we had a couple of days of practice and then lost in the first round to Marta Kostyuk um, in, in yeah, a, 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 honestly, a disappointing match. It wasn't a, it wasn't one of our best. It was a bit disappointing and a little bit surprising because I thought we'd been playing really well, practicing great. And it was just just a match that nothing really um, seemed to be working the way we wanted it to. So it's one that unfortunately you have to roll with the punches on it uh, and and. One thing I do tell people that do listen to this is, you know, the tendency is even as a coach, you want to throw that match in the trash and say, forget about it and move on. But as I've said to Magda, for me, the worst advice a coach can give anyone is after missing a shot or losing a point is to say, forget about it. You don't want to forget about it. You need to learn from it because if you forget it, you're not going to learn and then you're going to make the same mistakes next time. So um, it was it's painful. It wasn't fun. We've had to watch the match video a few times together and go over it because you don't want to forget that. You want to remember that and not let that happen again. So um, it was disappointing. But after the match, we headed to San Diego Airport the following morning, flew out to L.A., which was about a 30 minute flight, a couple hours wait in L.A. and then flew 15 hours to Hong Kong and then uh, change over there in a quick short flight over to Guangzhou, which was about an hour. And then we arrived. It was about maybe 10, 30, 11 at night, and then got an hour and a half car to the hotel, arrived about 1 a.m. and um, checked in, got some sleep, and then up for practice in the morning. 
Um, so for everyone listening who thinks that tennis is a glamorous life, tell us if you flew um, economy or if you went business class or perhaps even first class. You know, we actually, Magda had a deal and we got a private jet um, over here <laughs> from San Diego. <laughs> we, we were all on economy. Uh, the um, prices were crazy. I think it was going to come out to about $21,000 to get us all here and in business. And there's, you know, you obviously want to be comfortable when you can, but you have to be smart with your money because mm. uh, it's a lot of money. So it wasn't possible this time. So we, uh, yeah, we were in economy and it was, it's fine. I mean, I also... For me, I'm a believer in, you know, after Australia, for example, we had a nice run there, obviously, and it was, we we all flew back business and it was, you know, steak dinners for the week. And, but, but right now we're not, we're not getting the job done as we would like. So it's, you know, we've got to, you know, keep, keep some reality and perspective on that and kind of earn, earn the nice luxuries when we get them. What do you think that does to an athlete's body though, sitting in economy for that long and changing planes that often? Yeah, it's not great because Magda's actually sick at the moment. She's had, since we landed, she's been full of cold and cough. So I'm sure, you know, on these flights, you're just bound to pick up germs and it, it's it's not great. But it, the reality is, is that you hope that their immune systems are strong, they're healthy, they're fit, and that she'll shake this off in a couple of days. Mm. Um, so it's, but it's definitely, it's, you know, you know how it is when you get off a flight, you're, you're dehydrated, you're exhausted, the jet lag's really tough. And then your skin is dry, so you're peeling everywhere. It's just not its not real healthy. Roughly one day per hour of jet lag is about the, the way I work it. So if it's a 10-hour change, I need about 10 days to get fully Not back long. to sleeping well. Yeah, yeah, and you're used to it. It's getting harder as I get older as well. I've definitely noticed that. It didn't used to be this hard, and now it's its definitely, as you, you, know, you get a bit older, you suddenly get out of your routine, and you can't get back in it, and... You know, it's the sleeping pills. And I actually said to Magda, I said, are you going to take some pills? Because I had some f- for sleeping that night when we arrived here. And she said, no, no, I can't because that's doping. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also difficult for them because they, they can't just like we can just pop down a couple of, uh, you know, NyQuil or something like that. They have to be so careful. So that's a brilliant um, transition to our next subject, because there's a big controversy, isn't there, in the women's game with Simona Halep being banned for four years do you feel any sympathy with the Romanian? Obviously, we don't want anyone taking anything that's illegal. I think I have, I sympathise with her in that there's always a possibility that she was not aware of what was happening and it was being done to her by someone in her team. That is a possibility. Mm. However, I find that quite a stretch. I think the players have to be responsible for what's in their own supplements and she should have been more fastidious with it, as should Sharapova when that happened. So uh, as hard as it is for her, I'm sure she's devastated by it. But no, I don't really have any sympathy for her. It's it's unfortunate for her, but no. Fair enough. Um, I was going to ask back to the flight thing. Uh, Do some coaches have it in their contract that they, everywhere they go, they fly business? Yes. The answer to that is yes. I, I know that some do, but I would say that's definitely more of the top, top, players that are kind of, you know mm. the top 10 players that are consistently in that level um I think Magda's really good with us because she'll put us in business whenever she can and you know always have our own rooms and things like this so um she's really good with that because a lot of times in the past you know if, if um you're with players that maybe you have to share a room every week with the other coach or the fitness trainer or the physio um which I've, I've done in the past but uh, wherever Magda can she always has to get me my own room and for Ian as well. 
Um, and then I was working before this with Shelby Rogers, and she was another one that was really great about making sure she took care of the team. Which I, I have to say, in general, most of the players that I know really do a good job of taking taking care of their team. And I think you know that's why also as coaches we have to be understanding that look, there's there's, there's the, the reality is for me there's no way that that flight should a uh, uh, business class is nice, but for seven thousand dollars it's ridiculous. That's not feasible. It's not fair. You know, I think you have to have some fairness in in, in amongst the team. Now you mentioned the top ten which is another controversy that's just come up. We now have found out only a few weeks ago that it's going to be in Cancun. It was a very late decision and not Saudi Arabia. Cancun, to my mind, wasn't even on the cards. We were hearing about Prague and Saudi Arabia and a couple of places in the US. Any thoughts on Cancun for the WTA season ender? I wish Magda was in the top eight because I'd love to be going to Cancun at the end Mm. of the year. It's an absolutely (laughs) fantastic part of the world. I mean, I think it's a great venue. I can say that Mexico is probably one of the best tennis tournament hosts in the world. Whether you're going there for a 25,000 ITF or for the tournament they had in Acapulco or a 125 in Tampico that we did last year, you get packed crowds, great atmosphere, really well-run tournaments. I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I think it's a great place to have the event. Um, I do think that the WTA are going to have been a little bit unfairly uh, sort of blamed for this last minute decision because I think it was supposed to be in China. Yes. And China has sort of pulled out by citing financial reasons at the last minute. So that's not the WTA's fault. That's unfortunate. But I think this is a great replacement. And I'm, yeah, very jealous of those girls going to Cancun. Mm-hmm. Certainly a couple of years ago, Guadalajara. Was it um, that Gabina Muguruza won the finale? Was very well attended. It really is. I mean, and it's it's also like last year we were in Chennai at this time of the year. Last year, me and Magda went to Chennai for the tournament they had there. And again, it was like, I mean, India, it's it's unbelievable how they run an event. It's so good. They do such a great job because I think for the players, one of the most important things is just having a, a, an excited community that mm. wants you there and are really back in the tournament. And I remember we were playing those events and in, in India and, and, and Korea as well. And we're going on for matches at 11 p.m. at night. And it's an absolutely full stadium. Three, four, five thousand people at 11 at night. That was brilliant. And so Mexico, they, they're they going to do a great job there. The Elite Trophy is in Zuhai. It returns to the calendar for the first time since 2019. The Elite Trophy is for 12 players ranked from 9 through 20 at the end of the regular season. So that's certainly got to be on your radar. Yes, it is. It has been. But, um, you know, it's just getting tough right now. We haven't had the results we probably needed to the last month. Um, so I, I don't know. It's still in. It's still there. But I think, um, you know, Magda was aware of it. And I think one of the things that as a coach that we've tried, we try to do is sometimes I think Magda's had it in her mind for a while. And it probably does put that extra pressure on. And mm-hmm. when we went, you know, earlier in the year to Australia, we had no goal. The goal was to play well. And that's it. And I think that's, you know, part of the part of the process now is is not allowing those things like that to sort of affect you on a day to day basis. If they happen, it's great. But I think, you know, I always said to people, you know, you've got to have goals, but every match you play, you want to win. Every time you show up to the court, you want to win the match. You want to win the tournament. It's not like, oh, let's just try to make the quarterfinals this week or win a round. We're always looking to win the event. So. Um, and this year we haven't won anything. So she hasn't won anything for two years. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's definitely on the radar. Though. If she gets a couple of good results over the next two, three tournaments, it's it's still a possibility. How easy? And I believe it's the last year of the event. Ah, I think you're right. This this is this is the last year they're going to have this. So after this year, uh, it will only be the the, the year ending championship. There won't be the second tier. Okay. Um, yeah, how easy is it to block things out? For instance, I watched Magda play Jenny Brady at the US Open live. And of course, all the Americans have got huge amount of support. Is that really difficult for the opponent? I think it depends on uh, the, 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 I think Magda's mindset um, in that match, I think it definitely, it, it plays a factor for sure. There's no question it has an, an impact on the match. I think um, I think that's also where the countries of players or players of countries from the Grand Slams, English, French, Australian and American, don't realise often how nice it is to have a Grand Slam in their country. And they, they take it for granted a little bit because you look at the Czechs and the Polish and the Slovaks and the Russians and all these players, South Americans that don't have any of these big events to rely on, on the crowd to support them. So... I think it's difficult, but it's just part of sports. There's nothing you can do about it. I do think the American crowd is particularly difficult, though. They're, they're very raucous and loud. And, um, yeah, it's it's a difficult crowd to play in front of, for sure. And they certainly helped Coco win, didn't they? What's the feeling now that Coco has broken through and won a major? We saw in Washington, D.C., her winning a 500-level tournament. Then a couple of weeks later, she won a 1,000-level tournament. Now she's got a major in the bag. Is there talk around the players' area, the coaching area, that she's now the one to beat? I think she's always been, you know, she's never been easy to play. I think Brad, obviously, his record since he's come in with her has been incredible. Mm. I, I mean, what he's done. And I think it shows, because I, I always found it comical, the amount of coaches and people just in social media talking about how she needs to change her forehand and change this. You don't change somebody that age she's already what top two in the world doubles and top 10 in singles yeah. and people were talking about wanting to re retool her game i mean it's crazy what what brad to me has done as he's come in he's first of all just by being in her box given her that little bit of confidence that little bit of belief that you know if brad says i can do it i can do it i think a lot of the times is it the singer or the song so mm -hmm. i think having a different singer in her box now is is helpful and he's just, I think, tactically just given her a little bit more. She's a little bit more astute on the court. She's a, For me, she seems to know a little bit better now what her strengths and weaknesses are. And she knows how to use them in the right way, how to minimize her weakness and how to maximize her strengths. And she's such a good athlete. So she's always going to have that going. Did you see the video of uh, Sabalenka in the locker room afterwards? I think it was actually the gym, the warm-up area, absolutely obliterating a racket. And there was some uh, thought that that shouldn't have been shown to the public. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually have quite strong thoughts on that. And I think it's it's really poor from the tournament to allow that footage to be out there. I think, first of all, uh, one of the things I've never understood, especially in America, is this after football games, basketball games, you have reporters in the locker room with the players. I've never understood that. I think the locker room is a private place for players and coaches only. I think what they did there is a bit of an invasion of privacy because I think cameras shouldn't be in there. And if they do get that on camera, they shouldn't be posting that mm. out. But it's going to probably be done 
somewhat intentionally, right, in inverted commas or, or accidentally, because it's great clickbait for them. They can get a lot of people coming and watching this video. I don't know a single tennis player that's a professional level player or even amateur that wouldn't have done exactly the same as she did after that match. That was, Agreed. I know if it was me, I would have done a lot worse, a lot worse than she did. Uh, she, she, she was pretty calm to me. She took one racket, smashed it up and put it in the trash. I think I would have broken everything in the gym. So I don't think, and, and if she hadn't have reacted, people would have said, well, she doesn't care enough. It doesn't mean enough to her. So I think, it was really poor from the tournament. And I think that she handled herself really well during the match in the press conference. And what she does afterwards is it's private and everyone's been in that place before. And she's just done it in front of millions of people on the biggest mm. stage in tennis. Yeah, that's really embarrassing for her. I will say though, that on the other side, the broadcast side, the commentating side, it's absolutely gold dust to see the players in the gym uh, we're seeing how they warm up, who they're talking to. It really adds some good conversation. So I do love that part, having the uh, video camera in the gym. And maybe there should be a reminder to players warning this might go out live as broadcast, um, just so that players could go, oh, yes, I'll perhaps go and take it out of my racket somewhere else. <laughs> I, I completely get that. And if I was in your shoes, I'd probably be saying the same thing. <laughs> but I think, I don't know. First of all, I don't think that that was live. I think that that was pushed out later like the next day so it wasn't live mm. and I think there needs to be some consent or because you know one of the things that's frustrating to me now is we're in the gym and you've got six guys in there with cameras and microphones in you know Magda's trying to warm up and she doesn't have any space because Netflix are in there with Francis TFO or Coco whoever it is in the way for me the thing is is that that's it's great for tennis is that it's making the sport more seen but i think that they are going to have to start addressing some of these issues because it's not fair so mm. what happened to sabalenka is not a fair thing and of course you've got the two sides of the story haven't you arena sabalenka devastated coco goff delighted as was novak djokovic just give us a little bit of your thoughts on winning 24 majors and it's just the sound of that just is ridiculous when i was younger i watched pete sampras a lot and I always remember when he stopped, I said, this incredible 14 Grand Slams, no one's ever going to pass that. Mm -hmm. And now three guys have not only passed it, they've destroyed it. And you, you want to say nobody's ever going to beat Novak's record. You, you, you can't imagine it. But when Pete got 14, I said no one would beat that. I didn't think. And now this guy's gone 10 past it. So <laughs> I'm sure someone will beat Novak's record. It's inevitable. It's what happens to records. But... I don't see now, if you're designing a tennis player, I said to Ian the other day when we were on the flight, I said, if we were designing a tennis player, you'd probably take Novak's backhand. You'd definitely take his movement. You'd definitely take his return. Mm -hmm. You probably can only question his serve and volleys, you know, and, and his mind, you're definitely going to say, I don't know if there's a better competitor. I think there was a stat that I need to find, but he's won the most amount of matches from match point down. You know, and that shows you how tough the guy is. It's incredible. We have um, some Hawkeye uh, data, I believe, from a couple of years ago, and it's probably improved since. But he, to the juice side of the court, was hitting his serve in 78% of time within two feet of the lines. That's an interesting statistic. I think he, I think, do you remember at the start of his career, he had two big issues? One was 
his fitness actually he used to struggle in heat he used to struggle in humidity and he would withdraw a lot and he mm. really cramped and then the second part was his serve he had this horrible motion where he looked like he was sort of yeah it was kind of a slingshot serve but now he's got such an efficient serve the only issue he has for me sometimes is like under pressure whether you saw it in Cincinnati or Wimbledon or in the final a little bit was that the toss can get a little bit far in front and he kind of collapses down that's his tendency but he's i mean he's just so i mean he's just a master i mean it's a, it's, a, it's such a pleasure to watch him play it's a genius any thoughts uh, for you on the 149 twice from Ben Shelton how how much of an arm do you have to have to to put two serves in the same game that fast in play. I was actually watching some video of his serve this morning, and it's it's a really interesting motion because he has um he has really good extension with his left arm. If you watched if you watched Andy Roddick's serve, you know you would toss the ball up, and most people try to get their left arm sort of pointing up to the sky. And if you watch Shelton's, his tossing arm is way past perpendicular to the ground, so mm-hmm. he gets such a great um stretch shortening cycle on his abs and all of that part and it's so elastic i mean his arm is so so fast um it's a beautiful beautiful motion he's a really fun player to watch because i think he brings like that little bit of flair to the game but i think he's gonna have a difficult time for a while maintaining this i think it was in america it was nice with the support and he obviously is a great player i think he can be a future slam winner possibly but I think um, he's, for me, Novak and uh, really exposed a lot. He exposes everyone's weaknesses, but he, for me, from the baseline, he's got a lot of weaknesses that he needs to improve before he can really contend with the top guys consistently. Yeah, there's a big upside though, isn't there? I agree with you. We've got some questions um, from Gary. Seems to be our number one fan and diary of a professional tennis coach. His first question is, do you think it's inevitable that line judges will become extinct why have clay court tournaments been reluctant to embrace the technology? Good question. I think that it is inevitable that they will become extinct. I think they're already sort of, they've been phased out over the last few years. And I think COVID really precipitated that evolution or, or, or movement away from it because they're obviously trying to get less people on the court. It's quite interesting to me sometimes when I'm watching Tennis Channel and you watch back these matches from 10 or 15 years ago where you had so many people on the court you had all the line judges you had the net post guy calling the let cords you know you had so many so over the years yeah one person for the calling foot faults it was it was so it's really um yeah i think over time it's going to be almost just down to the umpire in the chair i think that the clay court events are already starting some of them to to move into the hawkeye um the electronic line calling i think it's a little bit more of a a situation where it's tradition again, a little bit like Wimbledon has kept with their tradition of keeping the umpires. But I think that they're also realizing that the looking at the mark on the on that the ball leaves on the court is also a bit subjective. Mm. So you know sometimes one umpire is still going to call it in and the other might call it out. So I think to to get to an even playing field, they're going to really uh, phase them out over the next few years completely. And I have to say, I've been commentating on Osaka this week. And some of the line calling has not been great, I have to say. Um, I think you could ask Yulia Putin-Saver her thoughts, and she would definitely agree with electronic line calling. I watched a little bit of it myself, and uh, there was some bad calls. And I think what's happened as well is just like the level of tennis has improved over the last 10, 20 years. Mm. The level and expectation of the line calling has also 
go back and watch again. Sometimes I'm sad enough to watch these old matches from the 80s that are on Tennis Channel and you see how bad the line calling was or the, the umpiring decisions were terrible. So now just the whole standard of everything has improved and I think it really shows now. And I think mentality, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but for the players, just seeing the mark, knowing that it's an absolute 100% call or not a call is very reassuring. Yeah, I think just the, the confidence. And I think, you know, we're talking to Magda, is, is her feeling is is just the objectivity is is the key because you, you often find as well in the past, you know, you don't want to upset the umpire too much and argue a call because he might later on you know, make a slight decision against you. When mm. does he start that clock? You know, is he going to penalize you more than he would have done? So I think just it creates that just general subjectivity. The computers and electronic line callings don't have any bias. And it is true, isn't it, that some umpires uh, do face bias. Some players are more manipulative than others. Some players seem to have uh, more gravitas than others. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's always that sort of you know for english people the football you know manchester united um, manchester city they seem to always get the the calls the extra time added the penalty goes their way so i think that it's just part of human nature and i think what well, that's what the great thing is we're trying to take that out of the game and i think mm. it'll make it more fair for the whole for everyone all right let's go on to uh, gary's second question uh, do you agree with martina navratilova that once the ball is tossed on service that it should be deemed in play rather than aborting the serve. So essentially he's saying, once you've thrown the ball up, it has to be hit regardless of whether the ball toss is bad or not. 100% agree with that. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great rule change that they really should implement. I think, first of all, the argument that I hear against it is, well, you know, if it's a very windy situation, it can be difficult throwing the ball. Yeah, but if we were in the middle of a point and there was an overhead, you don't get to stop mm. the point and say, let's wait till the wind dies down. So there's no difference in that. I think also the, the shot clock has been really good at reducing the wasted time between points, but players are abusing that by getting up to the line, waiting for the umpire to turn the clock off and then tossing the ball three or four times bad so that they get that extra time. So I think yeah. that it's just players are always going to find ways to sort of get around the rules. So absolutely agree with Martina on that one. The shot clock should be stopped from the first ball bounce. Because I do think that yes. that's when the players in started their motion. So, you know, Novak sometimes can be a bit excessive. Uh, you also remember if you look back at players like Agassi in the past or even Kyrgios now, once they walk up to the line, it's one, maybe two bounces and they're tossing the ball to serve. Yes. So I think everyone's a little bit different. And I think you've got to allow everyone's idiosyncrasies to still be there. You can't make everyone the same. But I think... Uh, once the, the clock can be turned off, once that first ball bounce starts for me. Right, right. we'll do more uh, listener questions next time. And we do encourage everybody to send their questions in. We have a Twitter handle, D-O-A-P-T-C, or I'm at Candy R-H uh, with a Y. And Mark, what's your Twitter handle? I have no idea. Let you know. Brilliant. I, I, I think I, it's I, at I, Mark Gellard, <laughs> two L's. Okay, well, that would be the top of my head. sort of as very creative as I always am. <laughs> um, I've got some questions for the next pod, mostly on um, the analytics of the game. We've got some numbers on how hard the players are hitting the ball, both on the men's and women's side. So it'll be interesting to discuss that next time out. Anything else you want to add uh, for this edition of the pod, Mark? No, I think that's great. And I appreciate everyone listening. And hopefully the next time we have a pod, I'll have some positive results with Magda. And I'll be over my jet lag and be back to... Uh, 
being being more proficient with my chopsticks here as well. And perhaps you could uh, also tell us how you're going to get rid of that sunglass tan. It's a, a farmer's tan on your face. It's not doing much good for my Tinder profile either. I've got to be honest. <laughs> so I need to work. On, I need to work on that tan for sure. Um, just before we go, we actually. During the US Open commentary, we had to every four games or so promote the usopen.org. And so we ran through Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, all of those. And somebody added Tinder. I don't think they meant to. <laughs> so it was Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> LinkedIn, Tinder, you know, all those kind of things. It made us laugh. So I was going to add Grinder as a, a funny thing. But oh, I love it. I thought since it was my first year, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea. Yeah, edit. we'll put them all in. <laughs> Yeah, thanks very much for the chat. Uh, it's been a while since we last talked. Difficult with the the hours that we now keep, uh, but we'll do our best to get another pod out shortly. And hopefully, as you said, Magda, we'll have some good results. Have fun out there. Thank you, Candy. Thanks, everyone listening.